Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to The Impact Code. Today is a very special day because we have our first interview episode of The Impact Code, and boy, do we have a treat for you. Today's guests are James and Deborah Fallows. Let me tell you a little bit about them before we get started because I think it is some great background and context for the interview that you're about to hear. James is a longtime writer for The Atlantic Magazine. He's reported all over the world since the late 1970s, and some of the places that he's been on assignment are China, Japan, Southeast Asia. He's been on assignment in the United States and Texas, Washington State, and California. James has written 12 books and won the American Book Award, the National Magazine Award, and a Documentary Emmy. Uh, He's also done extensive commentary on national public radio. Let me tell you about Deborah. Deborah Fallows is a writer and a linguist. She has written extensively on language, education, families, and work, China, and travel for several people, among whom are The Atlantic, National Geographic, Slate, the New York Times, the LA Times, and the Washington Monthly. She has been a fellow at New America and a senior research fellow at the Pew Research Center. So for four years, Deborah and her husband, James, who I just described, crisscrossed the country in a little plane reporting for The Atlantic on the civic and economic renewal of America's towns. They wrote a book then about this project called Our Towns, and the subtitle of that book is A 100,000-Mile Journey into the Heart of America. That book went on to be a New York Times bestseller, and then a few years later was turned into a documentary, which is now on HBO Max. Performing this interview was an absolute treat. James and Deborah, I would now consider friends after this conversation, and I think you'll see their heart and their passion for not only this country, but for the small towns that make up this country and the people uh, that have amazing stories to tell there. They are just special people. I hope that you will enjoy the conversation with them as much as I did. One last thing I'd like to share before we get started with today's episode is that today's episode is brought to you completely free by Tower Community Bank. Tower pays for the podcasting equipment for this show. Tower pays for the hosting for the show. And that is because Tower is passionate about serving the communities where we work, where we live, where we raise families. I am a part of Tower, and I can tell you that we are a community bank of the people, that we are unique among community banks, and that we are working hard every day to revolutionize what it means to be a community bank. Please, if you enjoyed today's episode, check out Tower Community Bank. You can do that at www.towercommunitybank.com. Please go to our website and check us out. I can promise you, you won't regret it. And without further ado, James and Deborah Fallows. I'd love to just start by uh, sort of talking about where you all got the idea to start this journey. So you're journalist by career and had traveled a lot. And, and what was the inspiration? Was there a moment when you were like, hey, we should, we should do this? So thanks so much for having us. Deb and I have been together in a lot of places for a very long time. We lived in Japan and Malaysia for years with our kids. We've uh, reported in the West Coast and in Africa and all over places. And so we, in 2011, 
we were returning from a number of years in China, where Deb was writing a book about Chinese linguistics. I was doing an, some books and reporting for the Atlantic magazine then. And we realized that the particular thing we most valued about being in China was being away from the big cities, going out in the provinces and seeing the things that are so different from the five-star international hotels in Shanghai that 90% of the visiting columnists would base their reports on. And so when we got back to the U.S., we thought, uh, even though Deb and I were each from a sort of inland America, smaller town, that we had, had not personally gotten the same kind of firsthand feel of what was the mood, say, in South Dakota or in Indiana or in Arizona after all the financial contortions of 2008, 2009, and just what, what had happened while we were away. So we, uh, just as a lark, um, I put a, an item on the Atlantic's website saying, tell us why your town, a smaller town, a place that's not normally in the national news unless there's a tornado or a tragedy of some kind, tell us why this is a representative American story now. And we were just flooded with entries, and we began traveling. Wow. And uh, Deb can tell when when some beginnings of travels became a bigger idea. We started out in in the upper Midwest, which is actually where I grew up, where we knew a few people who we thought would um, kind of get what we were about, what we were looking for. Yeah. So we went to their hometowns of Holland, Michigan and Sioux Falls in South Dakota. Mm. And as when we started out in these places, we were we were just stunned in the same way that we were in China when we'd go out, you know, looking around on the streets of Shanghai or out to the countryside and kind of each go our own way and come back at the end of the day saying, you'll never believe what I saw today. Or can you believe all the stuff that's happening in this town? Um you know, they may have some problems, but how they're coming together. And so it was that kind of first layer of surprise at all that was going on in the communities that we were visiting that we thought, well, let's let's go on a little bit more and, and see if, if these are just one-off places and we really hit it lucky or if there's some kind of pattern here. And we went on um, through the Midwest up to Burlington, Vermont, and then Eastport, Maine, and by the time we'd seen five or six cities, we thought, uh, gosh, you know, they're doing something in Eastport that looks really like with the same what they're doing in their version of it in Holland, Michigan. Or we're starting to see some patterns of how people were um, approaching immigrants or trying different experiments in the school system or looking at the natural natural assets of their communities and figuring out how could these be tourist attractions or how can we make it better for our residents here. So we, we started to see these patterns of things from town to town and then thought, we really need to keep going. You know, let, let's just go cover as much territory as we can. Towns that are, are in different places of the country, slightly different sizes, although the sweet spot seemed to be around maybe 25 or 30,000 people. Hmm. And as they said in towns, as people said in towns of from 1,300 to 60,000, this town is exactly the right size. <laughs> it's, it's big enough that there are lots going on here. It's small enough that you can actually have some agency and get something done. Hmm. So, so that was really the beginning of, of what turned out to be five years of travel. 
Wow, that's incredible. So you guys put out this, I guess, call to say, hey, tell us about your town. And you're flooded with responses. What does that feel like? What are you feeling in those moments when the inbox keeps popping up with more messages and you're, you surely they're done and then they keep coming? What, what does that feel like? It was a tremendous honor and remains a tremendous honor to have people write in as they continue to do saying, here's what's happening in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, that, that really deserves your attention. Here's why uh, Yakima, Washington. And, and we're, so I, I think that, that there's a sort of self-enjoyment part of the reporter's life. And then there's a public responsibility part of the reporter's life. The enjoyment part, it just is so interesting to go new places, meet new people, mm-hmm. learn new things, uh, just see a world that you hadn't seen before and, and things you didn't know just without walking down the street or whatever. So we really enjoy that showing up part of things. And then again, the responsibility of just being able to tell people's stories that deserve a wider audience. And usually if they're going to be in the national news or any national medium, it will be if there's sort of B-roll for a political campaign or, again, if there's something bad that has happened and, and drought or you, you name the bad thing. So we feel really uh, lucky, honored, and overwhelmed. Right, Deb? Yeah, and there were two easy parts of doing this. One is that Jim and I both grew up in small towns. So mm-hmm. when we stop in first few days in a small town, we kind of knew what we were looking at. You know, it was all familiar even if we'd never been to those places because it was like where we grew up and the second thing was that when you start to ask people about their hometowns hey what's going on here people love to talk about their hometowns Mm -hmm. and it's so different from what you see on cable news where they're interviewing some guy in a diner Mm -hmm. about some national issue and you know what they're going to say before they even start talking yeah this was surprising and different because people think deeply about what's happening in their small towns, in their hometowns. Mm. And, and they're usually, you know, fair. If you spend enough time there, which we always did weeks at a time, Mm -hmm. you start to hear the same stories over and over again. First you hear the good stuff and then Mm. you kind of start to hear the bad stuff. Sure. So um, the stories get bigger and deeper and longer. And, and that part of it was, both really fun and just kind of came naturally. I love that. What emotions arise when, so when you do, you ask someone, Hey, tell me about your town. What are some common things that you guys get in response to that? So I'm, I'm pausing because it's a very good question. I'm trying to think of the right way to, to put it. And I'm going to do, I'll do some, illustration by exclusion for a moment it's usually unfortunately the question the, the, the case that when national uh, media reporters go and ask people around the country something they usually ask the people something about which number one the reporter cons- considers himself or her- herself the expert mm-hmm. it's about the filibuster or about mm-hmm. you know name your, your your national issue and number two it's something where most people, show themselves off at sort of the least sophisticated level of their mm-hmm. of their reasoning. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you ask them, are young people moving into the town? Why are you here? Why did you stay here? What do you notice about it? How is it changing? What's good or bad about it? 
it's the same depth that people bring to their own stories. That uh, Deb has a wonderful linguistics story about getting people to talk about themselves, but almost everybody around the world, if you ask that person to tell his or her own story, people think about their own stories and they have mm-hmm. an interesting narrative to tell and they like uh, telling that. And similarly, some people feel awkward talking about their families because there's mm-hmm. a range of family experiences, but most people have thought about where they live. And so just mm-hmm. you feel as if you're hearing from people at the high end of their potential and sophistication. And that doesn't always mean, oh, this is so great, et cetera. I'm remembering one memorable place, uh, a very prospering town in the Middle South where we heard about a lot of things that had made this town a success. I got some <laughs> blistering email message from a woman who was from New York originally had an academic posting in that town for a couple of years and had moved away. And she said, let me tell you, I hate city X with the heat of a thousand million suns. Mm. <laughs> and she just went on to explain what it check. was <laughs> about for her yeah. uh, in particular, but it was a really interesting uh, dispatch. So I think it's just being able to hear people who have thought about their lives, their communities, their families, that that's, was a real honor and mm. absorbing. And, and we didn't just nab anyone off the street. I mean, mm. we, we started out what became, we would call the usual suspect, to try to begin somewhere. So we'd go see um, someone in the newspaper office, and there was frequently a local newspaper. Mm. Say, what's, what should we know about in this town that's important right now? We'd go to the library. Almost every town had a library. Yeah. And I'm telling you, the librarians know everything mm. that's going on in the town. So... You, you can just kind of start an opener question of um, who should we talk to in this town? Who, who, yeah. who, who drives things in this town? Mm. Um, same thing with somebody in the school system would say, what school should we visit in this town? Sometimes there was only one school. Sometimes, you know, there were several and they'd say, oh, you've got to go to the, this new elementary school we have because they're, they're doing whatever. Um, so we, started with these opener questions, which were mainly, who should we talk to in this town? Who are the drivers? And then it kind of reveals itself of what you should ask them about. And their their stories are, they are deep and rich because that's where they've spent their lives and, mm. and are spending their energy. Um, but it's, you know, it's interesting. It's, it, it's not some secret that only journalists can do. As a tourist, I would tell anyone, stop in the library and, and say, what's yeah. going on here? That's great advice. What should I see in this town mm. that is not just, I mean, walk down Main Street, but what else should I see in this town? Mm. Did you have moments where you were drawn in um, to, to some of these emotions um, where, where maybe, and I think generally as a, as a journalist, you, you try to kind of remain impartial, but were there times that, that pulled you in uh, because the emotions were just so um, rich and so deep. You you are the emotional queen yeah. of our family. <laughs> you, you can start yes, there. The one you have to hold back. Um, <laughs> well, in general, as we went from town to town, we'd frequently say, well, why don't we live here? And then we'd go on to the next town. Why don't we live here? Because <laughs> there seemed to be so much going on and they were so attractive. On the other hand, um, yes, I think one of the most moving 
experiences we had was um, talking with a local TV anchor in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, mm. who was very popular, very charming, very knowledgeable and professional. Her 20-something, young 20-ish daughter, very talented, beloved in the community, um, nanny for the mayor's children, mm-hmm. died in an over- opioid overdose, mm. fentanyl overdose. Um, wow. And, you know, it. that having someone die of, an over, of a drug overdose is unfortunately not that uncommon. Mm-hmm. But in a town where everyone knew this person, um, it it became personal to everyone in a in a more vivid way, and it it was certainly overwhelmingly um, difficult to talk with her about it yeah. when she invited us to her yeah. home to talk about it. But she, you know, she was as she should using her position and stage to um, educate the public in this. Wow! Uh, but it it was really moving. Have you got one better than that? No, I, I have. I have two that, of course, will be worse than that. Okay. But, but in that. <laughs> um, one was when we were in Mississippi. Uh, we spent a lot of time in Mississippi, and this was when we were back uh, with the HBO film crew, and we met a guy who was in his, a black guy in his mid eighties, mm-hmm. who in the nineteen sixties had been a real leader in Mississippi in mm. unionization and voter registration and unionization at this big meatpacking plant there and all the other things. And so he yeah. had survived all that time with a number of people hadn't. And so we were asking him about how does he think about being a black man in Mississippi? What's the image of Mississippi and the rest of the world? Mm. And this was during a lot of the racial protests in Minneapolis and Portland, et cetera, that time of history. He said, well, now that people are getting to look at the rest of the country, maybe Mississippi doesn't look so bad anymore. And that we, are, we are, and he was going on in a wry way to talk about the way people in Mississippi had, had gotten together. The other thing I'll mention is actually the uh, something in Charleston, West Virginia. Mm. There is a, a spectacular mural in downtown Charleston, a part of the city that's recovering and very consciously trying to rebuild itself of all the characters who <clears throat> have sort of walked down that street in the past few years. And we interviewed and, and filmed actually the ending sequence of our HBO film with an artist named Charlie Jupiter Hamilton, mm. who just is this such a memorable and big-hearted guy. And he uh, just spontaneously, to our surprise, started quoting Julius Caesar while we were filming him about there's a tide. I remember this moment, yeah. And you know, a really wonderful guy. A few months after uh, the movie came out, um, he died. He, he had been in Vietnam in the Navy as a gunner's mate or something and had Agent Orange, Orange exposure and so died. And that street in Charleston with his mural is now renamed as Charlie Hamilton Way. But wow. That was really emotional just to see him and the passion he was pouring into his town. Yeah. Yeah. That's a special moment. So what inspires you all to keep going? You've seen so much of rural America, urban America, and over a hundred thousand miles is sort of that, that subtitle. So why keep going? Deborah. Uh, yeah. There are several <laughs> answers to this. First, it's really hard to stop because mm. each town is different and just coming to your town, mm-hmm. coming to this part of Tennessee, coming to Marion County, coming to Jasper. We, I, I, I'm just, flabbergasted at 
at what we've heard in just the last 24 hours, and it's different yeah. from every place else. Every place is different from every place else, so you kind of never get tired of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jim and I were reminiscing yesterday or so about how we feel that we've been lucky to end up in the right place at the right time a lot of times in our life. Yeah. We were in China um, starting in 2006, and we now call it the golden age of Hu Jintao. Everything seemed to be opening up. It was mm-hmm. easy to move about as a foreigner. It was very exciting. So much opportunity for young people, mm-hmm. and that was fantastic, and now it's not. Yeah. Um, we were in Japan. It was a little bit of a harder time <laughs> because the economy was uh, like we were watching the exchange rate of the dollar fall by about 50% in a week and, wow. you know, pairing apples so that the kids could only have half, a, half an apple each day. Mm. Um, and we decided that where should we be now and thinking that actually maybe America is the most interesting place in the world mm. at this moment for good reasons and bad, but there is is so much to try to understand of we feel like we've just reached the tip of the iceberg of who are we? What do we believe in as a country? Mm. Um, what are the what are we seeing about what people are taking on in their own ways to encourage democracy on so many different levels? Mm. So that's a kind of high road, low road answer. I don't know. Here's my my other road answer. In addition to agreeing with what Deb said, which is that. I spent decades and decades as a magazine journalist and radio reporter and things of that sort. I think there's a real blind spot in a lot of American national journalism now, which is taking seriously parts of the country that aren't New York, D.C., Seattle, Mm -hmm. L.A. And by taking seriously, I mean treating them as three-dimensional places, not, again, venue for the guy in a diner cliche interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our best known national publications had a job wanted ad just a week or two ago, which said looking for someone to be based in Texas to cover red state America and a region transformed by conservative ideology. I think Texas has wow. what 30 million people. It's yeah. the fastest growing yeah. state. It's the second largest state it's essentially 10 different states mm-hmm. that if you're summing up Texas as red state America, that shows a sort of failure of imagination. So trying to present a more 3D picture of what it is actually like in much of the country and, and how many, the many ways in which people, despite the polarizations at the national level, are much less polarized than that in normal life and daily life and community life and and how those two parts of the American uh, saga right now can be balanced. And it's interesting that you all, that, did you have something else to say? I was, I was just going to pile on a bit to what Jim yeah, said. Yeah, please do. That um, I, I think one of the, both the, the privilege and the excitement of doing this kind of reporting uh, is and responsibility is to go to a place without a preconceived notion that you, here's what I'm going to look for. I'm going to find every conservative in Texas and tell you what it's what they're mm-hmm. like. Going into a place 
I mean, with enough of, of a background that you think, I'm going to look at this, or I think we might find this, but 80% of the time being just blown away that it didn't turn out one bit like mm. what you were expecting to find. The blank slate it is a great place to start to yeah. see what unfolds. It's interesting that you went there next because that was going to be one of the questions that I, I really wanted to spend some time on was, did you have any sort of preconceived notions going into those first couple places, New Holland? Um, did you have some preconceived notions at, at what it might be like and, and did those change? So did you have things that you believed before that maybe your mind has shifted on as you've visited more and more cities? So I, I think that, that in each case, we'd start out with some basic knowledge, you know, Allentown, Pennsylvania, you think of as a declining steel town just because Billy Joel a generation ago had his song Allentown, mm-hmm. even though that was about the steel mills in Bethlehem and all the people <laughs> in Allentown. Rhyme. Yeah, they're so <laughs> bitter that there was, there's no rhyme for <laughs> so, And actually what's so interesting about, about Allentown now is it's having a kind of Log- a different kind of boom. It's very different ethnically than we thought. A very significant uh, Latino concentration there now. People, mainly Latinos who'd moved in from New York and New Jersey, significantly after 9-11, downtown is being redone, et cetera. So, uh, and as a side note, the only person we wrote about in admiring ways in our book who came to sort of a bad end was the then mayor of Allentown mm. who was indicted in like 16 counts of, you know, influence peddling, but, oh wow! but he was elected for his fourth term after those indictments. So the people, wow. <laughs> you know, eventually he was uh, tried and convicted on some of them. But so, so I think there, you need to have some framing ideas going in. Fresno, I knew is sort of the least glamorous time, uh, town in, in California, even compared to San Bernardino, which is the, the, the region I'm from. Uh, Michigan, we knew they were manufacturing, et cetera. So you have some idea, and then what you didn't know you were looking for is, is often the thing you say, you know, aha. <clears throat> yeah. And yeah. So I think answering your question of yes and is something that happened frequently. Yes and was, yes, we knew what, why we were going to Columbus, Mississippi, and when we got there, we were stunned at what mm-hmm. we actually found, which was a uh, an equally big or even bigger story. So we'd been in Greenville, South Carolina, reporting on a, one of the things was a, a governor's school. They're public boarding schools for kids from all over the state. Mm-hmm. And the one in Greenville, South Carolina is about arts and humanities. The talent in that school and and the opportunity for the kids from, as they said, the second bend in the river, in mm. South Carolina, who ended up there, uh, was great. And it, it was a story that, quote, writes itself because <laughs> it's so interesting. So w- then a week later, after we were kind of blogging as we went along. I got an email from a teacher in Columbus, Mississippi, essentially saying, you think that governor's school in, in Greenville, South Carolina is so great. You should come and see ours in, in Columbus, Mississippi. So we thought, okay, here's a guy reading our stuff. Yeah. And He's through throw down the gauntlet. Yeah. We'll, we'll just go. We've got this little plane we're Absolutely. traveling in, so we'll go. Um, it was the Mississippi School for Mathematics and Science, and it turned out to be an equally amazing story of kids from the Delta mm. and the Double Wides and the Shacks and the 
sub- fancy suburbs of Hattiesburg who all end up in this STEM school with tremendous uh, social studies programs too. But the story that we found there of economic development in the golden triangle of Columbus, Starkville, and West Point, Mississippi, Eastern Mississippi, was um, Jim. Can you you can explain that better than I can? So, so it's a it's an area where their industries had been. Uh, they <laughs> made they made pork chops. They made toilet seats. Uh, they made blue uh, jeans, hot, hot dogs. Oh wow, uh, blue jeans. I mean, it was a, a and pol- gravestones. Oh, yes, they made. <laughs> they had a contract to produce gravestones for military cemeteries. Wow. And so when they lost that contract, they had a lot of these gravestones left over. So you'll see fences and like little sheds built out of headstones. Wow. Yeah, it, it was a uh, weird. It was yeah. a struggling part of Mississippi. <laughs> yeah. And through the guidance of some state policies and two just kind of spark plug people, a man named Joe Max Higgins, who is a a white man, the son of a sheriff from Arkansas, and Brenda Lathan, who's a black woman who had grown up there in Columbus, they found a way to just attract the highest of high-tech industries there. Um, Airbus now has a big uh, assembly a plant uh, in the Golden Triangle Airport. Um, they have one of the most advanced steel-making facilities in the U.S. there. And it was wow. mainly the, the argument that they were making – um, Joe Max and Brenda and their allies to these prospective business people and also to their townspeople in, in Mississippi is everybody has a certain idea of Mississippi. We are we recognize we're seen as the bottom of every single ranking you can think of. Hmm. And we're going to show the outside world what we are capable of. And it's been, been a huge success. Wow. And there's a, a new uh, community college, right? Right yes. in that, in the same shouting distance of this new industry, wow. where um, not only the young people in that part of Mississippi are able to be trained directly for those for an opportunity for those jobs that pay seventy dollars an hour, something wow. astonishing. Yeah, um, but also for a number of the people who had lost their jobs in the toilet seat factory, for mm. example. Um, we talked with what was Raj's uh, Raj Shanak. So he, his job there. So was. he was like the director of sort of community education for this East Mississippi Community College, and he. Uh, it was true the deal they made to bring in the steel factory is the the average wage for our employees has to be seventy seven seven zero dollars per hour. Wow! For the factory which they they met, and this East Mississippi Community College, which opened the Communiversity. Uh, just it was training all these people, black and white, often out of the worst workforce, sometimes from prisons, you know, just people who had no opportunities for all of the really advanced jobs there. There was a big truck engine factory there, too, from Packar, where most of the truck engines you see on the street come out of uh, Mississippi. I mean, mm. in, on, yeah. on freeways. And, and talk about emotional experiences. One thing that Raj Chanak said in talking about the value of community colleges was that these students were one flat tire away from disasters mm. in their families. So this was an opportunity for them to, you know, <laughs> to move forward. And yeah, that's transformational. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I'd love to shift gears here. And I, from the minute that I met you guys this morning, have had sort of an, uh, an admiration for your relationship. It seems like you two have a, <laughs> a very special relationship. 
Um, and you spent a lot of time together over the past several years. How has your relationship changed as a result of this journey? You start. <laughs> <laughs> so Deb and I met when we were 18 on a blind date in college and got married when we were both 21. Wow. And it's been quite a while together. And oh, so, you can say it. So we've been married for 50 years, <laughs> five zero. Oh, congratulations. Years. Thank you. And, and it's, um, I feel this is the great good fortune of my life to have mm. met Deb back in uh, a college uh, date when she was a, a freshman. And I think that we, we are very different people who allow for the different, differentness in the other mm-hmm. and try to support the other. Right, dear? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I, I don't know. There's, there's no, there's maybe two secrets to this. One is that we were just lucky. Mm. I mean, what do you know when you're 21 about somebody that, that you get married to then? Mm-hmm. Um, what were our parents thinking? I don't know. It was a different era. Um, you know, we knew, but we didn't really know. So that was, that was good luck. I think the other mm. thing, um, was good luck that we stumbled into, which is that we've never, we've never kind of stayed put for very long. We've we've moved about sometimes more for Jim, sometimes more for me, sometimes more for the kids. Mm. Um, we've been, we have both intentionally and unintentionally put ourselves in difficult positions a lot of times, like. Yeah. Go live in Shanghai by yourself. Yeah, good luck with that. Or Kuala Lumpur. Or our glamorous honeymoon. <clears throat> in Ghana, in a work camp. No, not oh, wow. to be recommended. No, that was probably a mistake, but everything was easy after that. Um, <laughs> so, in in a way, it always breaks up the routine of getting irritated by the small stuff. Hmm. As much as, no, Which to be I, unnamed. <laughs> there is nothing that could no. possibly, right. yeah. that you could possibly but you be. But you get the point. I do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Stuff, absolutely. It's always changing. And so good fortune and stumbling about. Great answers. So the theme of our pro- our podcast is really around impact. And how can we help people who are maybe searching for a way to make their impact in the world uh, find a, a channel to do that, or maybe find some next steps to take in that direction. Um, I'd love to ask a couple final questions. The first is, what is the impact that you all hope to have through this this traveling journey that that you all are on? What what do you want to do in the world with all of this information that you're kind of piecing together for people? So, so I'll give my. Um, we often have a routine of I'll give a sort of tentative answer and Deb will say, but actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's just, just buying time to think. Yes. <laughs> so in my role as having spent, again, all these decades as a, a journalist, there are two things I think can matter from what we're doing. And it's also towards these, this end that Deb and I set up a little foundation called the Our Towns uh, Civic Foundation to try to mm. support journalism of, of this sort. One is simply to affect the view Americans have of their country. It's been notable in opinion polls for for a very long time now that most Americans on almost any topic feel much better about the part of America they see for themselves Mm -hmm. than the part of America they just hear about. 
uh, people them you know the, the rates of people experiencing crime have gone dramatically down since the 1980s mm-hmm. but people sense that crime is a big problem have gone dramatically up mm-hmm. um, there the sense of that for the last 10 or 15 years people have said the place I live actually I like I think is working well America as a whole is really in bad shape and so if we recognize that in the U.S. there is some tension between all the things that are embattled and polarized at the national political level in some other ways and the other parts of the national reality that are just as important and may be pushing in the other ways, it seems to me that media attention is 95% on the former mm-hmm. and 5% on the latter because the latter can be considered cutesy mm-hmm. or feel good or whatever. So. The, the ma- first impact that I, I would like to have is just to give people a more proportionate sense of the, the world they're in. There's a, a saying that I think from Matthew Arnold originally, then was uh, the, the early Manchester Guardian in the 1800s, saying the purpose of journalism was to see things steady and see them whole, mm-hmm. give people some steady and whole view of the country. The other is simply to connect people around the country who are trying to do similar things or dealing with similar problems and don't know it. Hmm. Don't know that people in Fresno are dealing with an issue that people in Dayton have also had. So I think those are the two kinds of impact we're, um, th- that I, I think of. But Deb. No, I, I agree. And the, the first part is to tell more of these stories, to amplify these stories, to give them give them a microphone so that more people can hear more stories. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the connecting too. Um, It, it, all of this kind of community um, development, revitalization, renewal, it's hard work. Mm -hmm. And actually we often feel, you know, we feel guilty when we leave places because we, we were there for a few weeks and then we go away and think, this is, this is the life that, that, everyone we've talked to has chosen and will keep working on long after <laughs> we're gone. Mm-hmm. At, but what? Oh, yes. I, I have oh. a story to add after you have oh, okay. finished your point. Um, so I think, you know, connecting people to say that you're not the only ones doing this. Mm. Lots of people all over the country are doing similar kinds of things. It kind of makes you feel better and stronger and sure. affirms what you're doing. Um and then just the practical aspect of that, too, that you hear someone's story about what they're doing in Duluth and think down there in some place down there, down here in Georgia mm-hmm. or Tennessee or Alabama, that, um, gosh, we can't do that, but we can do a version of that. I never thought about it. So mm-hmm. those kinds of connections are important in a, a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. And here's an illustration of a story that could have resonance that Deb and I just heard today, but we'll, we'll share, which is in a county where there are lots of sort of uh, lots of town by town differences based on sports and other things, having putting on the play Oklahoma with a pan county cast of young mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. that could make a difference of these kids being together in some way they wouldn't naturally do if they were on opposite sides of a football stadium or whether so that is right. a yeah. simple illustration that people can ga- grasp of oh we could think of something like that too yeah yeah we could do that absolutely right. yeah it, it is very inspiring and I, i'll just say on a personal note uh my wife and i also started with the the documentary and and then moved on to the book but it was something that just hit us 
uh, with such inspiration of feeling seen. We're both from small towns as well. My my town of uh, 1,500 to 2,000 people and Courtney's town of 25,000 or so people. And um, so seeing those stories lifted helped us feel seen. And, and mm. maybe this part of ourselves that um, maybe was left in the past can now come to light because there, there shouldn't be um, maybe any reason to hide that, but maybe there's a reason to actually elevate that story. Um, and so that is a really cool impact and a really unique voice that you all are able to give to parts of the country that may not have a voice otherwise. You're so Thank you. generous to say that. And actually, this isn't a category of something that has an emotional impact on us to mm-hmm. hear that from you right now. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, guys, I have one final question for you. And that is for someone who is uh, maybe just trying to find a way to have a bigger impact in the world. And they haven't quite found their footing yet. They haven't quite found their path. Um, do you have any advice for them on on making a bigger impact or finding their impact? So I think it all depends on the circumstances of the local. Is there some, for example, in, in my hometown of Redlands, California, a big tree planting effort? has been something that has involved lots of school kids. And there's a technology company there company there that can do precise geotracking of each one of these little seedlings and mm-hmm. see how, how it's doing and, and where, you know, how it's connected to the trees around. So tree planting works someplace. And um, working to have a trail someplace else. Deb. I, I was going to say, look around at what's going on in your town and just jump in. Join the effort. It doesn't matter if you're going to sweep the street or um, walk the kids to school on a, on a you know, community day, whatever it is. That won't be the answer, but that will be an entree mm. to the answer. And I think that, that the just show up is, is part of it. Um, it is a first step, and then, then it kind of all reveals itself. Because you meet the people and you see what else is going on and you find sure. your place and you, you know, have a new idea and you act on it. But it, you don't have to start out with the right answer or a big answer. You just show up. I love that. And I think that's a great place to finish up. Jim, Deb, thank you so much for being on our podcast and being our inaugural guest. Uh, we are very honored to have you here today. Is there anything that you all want to share with our audience, um, any asks that you have of them, um, where can they find you all if they want to look up more? So, so thanks again. And the honor is ours for being here in, in the community. And the main site for our ongoing work is, is ourtownsfoundation.org. And that's where we post our ongoing going reports and we have story maps. And so that, that's, that's our main foundation work. I also have a site on Substack, you know, fellows.substack.com, but those are the two places where mainly we're, uh, Deb, what am I leaving out? Yeah, and at, at our towns, ourtownsfoundation.org, one more time, <laughs> is, is um, where we and this tiny staff of, I can hold them in the palm of my hand, um, are working really hard to tell more stories and to try to do it. We will try to do what you are doing with podcasts. This is, so besides... Besides all of this, um, I would just urge your listeners to keep listening because yeah. this is a winner for you. And congratulations. Oh, We're yes. really proud thank to you start so much. this and, and good luck. Ah, thank you both so much. And there you have it, folks. 
Thanks so much to James and Deborah for coming on the show and sharing their amazing journey across the country. Wow. There's so much in this episode that meant so much to me, and I hope it meant something to you as well. If so, be sure to find James and Deborah at ourtownsfoundation.org, fallows.substack.com. Go and check out their podcast. Go to HBO Max. Watch the documentary. It's called Our Towns. Buy the book on Amazon. All of that will be well worth your while. So please find them and support them. I also want to thank you for your time that you invested in the episode today. It means so much to have you here as a listener. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you did enjoy this episode, please leave us a review and tell us that you enjoyed the episode. If you happen to have any suggestions or requests for guests to have on the show, you can send those over to us directly at podcast at towercommunitybank.com. That is podcast at towercommunitybank.com. We're certainly looking forward to hearing from you there. Don't forget to subscribe or follow on whatever platform you listen so that you're always alerted when the newest episode arrives. And I am looking forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Impact Code.